Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Glad to see everybody here this morning. Sorry, Brian, just a minute or two behind here. Before we get started this morning, if you will, please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for this wonderful day you've given us, Father. We thank you for being our all-knowing, omniscient, all-powerful God, Father. We thank you for your love and your care for us. We thank you for your word that you've given us so that we may know you better and understand you better, Father. We thank you for your son who came and gave himself for us, Father, so that we could have this relationship with you, so we could be your children, Father. Help us to study your word, learn more about you, know what you want us to know, Father, and to draw closer to you every day. Father, we ask that you would help us in this study to help us achieve that goal, Father, that we would draw closer to you and grow in likeness of our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we had left off with question five. We're in Revelation chapter one, the green book's in the back if anybody doesn't have one. Um, so I'm going to... I'm going to start here and just read the first eight verses of Revelation chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. Excuse me. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So on these verses, we had uh, asked, we had answered some questions. We would gotten down to uh, question number five. To whom was the book addressed? And you can look at verses like 4 or 11 or maybe and 11. And they, yes, ma'am. It's a letter written to these seven churches in the area of Turkey or Asia Minor. Right. It's a letter written to these seven churches, congregations, much like we are a congregation or a, an assembly, as you know, the translation of the word goes. Um, but these churches in Asia, and they, they list them out. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Some pronunciation there, maybe may sideways, but nonetheless, 
It's mentioned in uh, verse 4 and then listed in verse 11. Um, and says, send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, and then it lists them out. So, so that's to whom the book was addressed at that time, realizing that it's also addressed to us nowadays. We should always take and apply this to us in a, in a personal way. So how is God described in the greeting from John? We'll just take the first part of question six. How is God described? Well, he says, yeah, well, so Matt? It's from him who is and who was and who is to come. So it's like this idea of past, present, future, the eternal right. God. Who is and who was and who is to come. In other words, eternal God. The one who always was and always will be. Right? And definitely who is currently now as well. So then the second part of that is, and this gets a little different. But uh, the Holy Spirit, how is the Holy Spirit described? Yeah, Matt. It's about the seven spirits, which sounds kind of weird, right? It sounds like, was it one or is it seven? Is it right. Seven that, of course, seven is one of those numbers in this book, right? This completeness and fullness. Right. It mentions the seven spirits who are before his throne, God's throne, right? And... The seven, like Matt is saying, the seven, in a way, it um, implies or, you know, it, it's uh, supposed to represent completeness. And there are several references you can look at for this. Uh, one, if you jump ahead to chapter 4, verse 5, and from the throne proceeding, proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices, seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, we're going to get into an explanation of this. It's like seven aspects of the Holy Spirit is what it is, but we'll get into that. There's a couple more references here. One is in Zechariah chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, and this is maybe a little more vague, but nonetheless, Now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who is wakened out of his sleep, and he said to me, What do you see? So I said, I am looking, and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it, and on the stand seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, one at the right of the bowl and the other at its left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, What are these, my lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you... I see, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. So he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And then I think a better reference, if we look at Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, talking about the Holy Spirit, the spirit of the Lord. And it gives you the seven aspects of the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So the idea that the Holy Spirit has seven aspects of its ministry 
And that's its complete ministry and complete work in these things. Does anybody have anything else on that? We might think about the Acts chapter 2 where the apostles rushing mighty wind in the room and the, the tongues as of fire yep. on them when their heads or whatever. Uh, that's, 12, <laughs> that's 12 flames. Uh, and you read about uh, there in Zechariah the, the lamps which would have flames, you know, seven yep. flames. And so uh, for there to be a, a one of those special numbers associated with flames and relating to the Spirit is not... Right, right. It's not unique. And the, the lamps and the bowls, and we're going to see more about bowls and different things as we go through Revelation. Did you have something, Pat? I don't know if this pertains to it or not, but in the Godhead, there's three. Right. The Godhead, there's, there's three. So why not the Spirit have seven? So why not the Spirit have seven aspects or seven? I, yeah, I, I have no problem with it. That's what's in the Bible. So I'm just, I'm just going to roll with that. <laughs> This, and this was just a reference that came up in what I was looking at pertaining to this. So, but yeah. So, does anybody have anything else on question six before we move on? Because I know the, the Holy Spirit part, I mean, I, I think people sometimes, we, we struggle with that idea sometimes. Okay. All right. So, question seven, how is Jesus Christ described? by John in this greeting. And there's a number of descriptions here in verses 5 and 6. <clears throat> 5 and 6, sorry. Well, he talks about the, the faithful witness. Right, he's called the faithful witness, right? The firstborn of the dead, kind of talking about his resurrection, I think. The firstborn of the dead, right. He is the first. The ruler of the kings of the earth. He's king of kings and lord of lords. Right. Um, he loves us. He released us from our sins. He died on the cross, right? Yep. He loved us. Who loved us? Yeah. He's made us to be a kingdom priest. So I guess that's talking more about us. But he, he set up a kingdom, right? He's a king. Right. But that's one of the things. He who made us kings and priests to his God, right? So there's some things on this, like who washed us from our sins in his blood, right? And this goes back to what is this washing it brings me back to that question. What is this washing being referred to? The new birth, right? Which is baptism, right? So, I mean, we, we should be able to understand, you know, what, what he's referring to where he says, who washed us from our sins in his blood? Well, only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus does that. And I put down my reference to Titus 3, uh, chapter 3, verse 5 for that. Um, you know, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So, to me, that goes with that. Uh, and then on who made us kings and priests to his God. Now, some translations will say who made us a kingdom. And the idea, or in other words, made us his subjects in the kingdom, if you think about it that way, made us citizens in his kingdom. We're under his authority. And we represent him on earth, of course, but he's added us to his spiritual kingdom. So that's the idea there. Yes. He's made us, say, say it again. To be, to be a kingdom and priest to serve him. 
So he made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve him, which is right. Okay, so that goes, that probably states it a little more succinctly than how I looked at it here. But yeah, we're, we're his subjects in his kingdom to serve him here, represent him here, right? So yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. So does anybody have anything else on that before we move on to the next question? All right. So question eight, what is said about the coming of Christ? Yes, man. Coming with the clouds, every eye will see him. I think that's a reference to Daniel, Daniel 7, where the Son of Man is going to come on the clouds and sort of just fulfilling prophecies. Right. He is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him. Uh, him, then Pat. Yes. Right, so in Acts it does say that he will come back in the same way he left, which they saw him uh, ascend into the clouds into heaven. So and he will come back in the same manner. That's just what I was going to say. Oh, okay, okay. So, well, like minds, right? I mean, it's, it's good that we're uh, in sync on things. And that's, you know, that's in Acts. So that's easy, easy to find and read about. Um, with this in mind, though, with that idea in mind, so won't we know when Jesus returns? So should anybody in the world really be able to fool us? Because people in the world, we're going to read about this, are going to be fooled thinking that they're going to see someone here that is, you know, some great miracle worker, that is some great person from God, they're going to be deceived, right? Some people have already been deceived. They've been told that Jesus came back. They've been told. I mean, these things have happened, some of it already, yes. But in here it says every eye will see him. So people here on earth, not every eye can see him. Right. So we should never be fooled, right? We're going to know without a doubt. Yes, surely. And only God knows. Only God knows when the Lord is coming. Right. Even Jesus did not know and did not say, yeah, he did not. Well, he said he did not know. He said plainly. So, right. But God knows when he will return. But with this in mind, the fact that when he returns, there's not going to be any doubt. Everybody's going to see it. There's not going to be any doubt. So don't let anyone fool you is my point. Don't let anyone ever fool you into thinking that he has somehow returned and nobody noticed. That's just not the way it's going to be. Yeah, man. And there are some who take the position that, kind of like the author's talking about, that a lot of what is foretold here is about the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. They'll say, well, that's when Christ returned in A.D. 70, and he's not coming back because he's already returned. <laughs> so there's all sorts of ideas out there. That, uh, right. Now, right. Paul... I'll just say that I think I agree with Paul that Jesus has not returned yet. That that was something that was being said. Because they thought that. Even back that in, in their day. And 
Who? I think the Thessalonians. I think it may have been. Oh, that's right. It was the Thessalonians because he was explaining to them what's going to happen or how it's going to come about. Yes. The Bible tells us that God is not a respecter of persons. So why would he appear to that one person, that individual who claims, oh, I've seen Jesus, he's back. And listen to me, I've got stuff to tell you. He told this to me, so follow me because I have the latest, newest, updated revelation from the Lord himself because I saw him. No! Right, right. The Lord is not just going to come back for like one person to sh to talk to one person and and give them some new sudden knowledge that's not in the Bible that we don't know. That's not going to happen, Pat. It also says every eye shall see him. Those that are yep. saved and those that are not saved. And later on, we'll find out that every knee shall bow and confess him, even those that were unbelievers in this body. Yes. Yeah. So, and if. It does say that every eye will see him, right? And it also says, um, I don't think we, I don't think we mentioned this, but all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, right? That's another answer to this question. It's like, um, that there's something that is said about the coming of Christ, right? So why will they mourn then? Why would we, it says all the tribes, of the earth will mourn. So why would we mourn? Why would they mourn? For their sin? Right? What what would you say their sin was at that point? Well, they had, these people had crucified them. They had pierced them, it talks about. Right, right. Okay. Um, I guess what I was thinking of, when Christ returns, what would be the main reason you think someone would mourn his return? They didn't believe. It's too late. At that point, it's too late. Yeah, you're going to believe because he's going to be right there in your face. You're not going to have a choice. But at that point, it's too late to turn it around. Yes, ma'am. It's interesting that it says before that, the tribes and everything, every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. You think about that. Those people are probably dead by the, the point that John wrote this, and, and certainly now. <laughs> yep. So he's got to be talking about Christ's return, the resurrection. We read about Thessalonians again, right? Right. Then Christ will rise first, and then will rise to even in the air. That's what he's talking about. Everyone's going to be risen either to judgment or to victory. Right. Right. That's true. Everyone's going to be risen to either you know judgment, which is not the good side of things, or to victory, to the love of God and the love of Christ. Um, it's also worth thinking about in a spiritual way, those who pierced him could be people down through the generations and centuries that have mocked and persecuted Christians and the Lord. So you could look at that that way as well. But definitely those who did the actual physical act back then, they're going to rise to judgment too. Um, whether the judgment be good or bad, depending on them. Let's see. Um, was there anything else on that question eight? All right. So if we look at question nine, how does the Lord designate or present himself? He says the famous line. 
Well, he does present himself as eternal, yes. He says, I am, right? He says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, right? And then who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty, right? All three tenses. Right. Everything. He's, he's always been, he is, he always will be. And so, if you think about that, that goes perfectly with the uh, old... Testament in Genesis and him being I am, meaning I am eternal always. Go ahead, man. This, this phrase is used several times, and I've tried to figure out precisely when it's God the Father speaking, or when it's God the Son, or when it's all of them, or something. I, I think the New King James says says the Lord. Uh, other translations but it says says the Lord God. Kind of makes kind of makes you think maybe it's not talking necessarily about Jesus, or maybe it is because he's God. Uh, but it's, it's kind of puzzling to figure out. Mine's it written in red, suggesting it's, it's Jesus, but you know that's just the editors put put it in red. Right. That's that's because we tend to believe that that's Jesus, but yeah, and, and it says the Lord God, and that can be confusing because a lot of times I will talk about Jesus being the Lord, but at the same time there is God. And so, it, it, but Jesus is also God. So, yeah, it it, does, it can get confusing in the way we refer to the Godhead. Yes. In these previous verses here, we we touched on each aspect of the Godhead. So, yes, my, my version does say Lord God, and I don't have red. So, but it's still very confusing. I guess in my mind, I take it as the whole collective Godhead because they all they are. They make up the I am. Right. And when Jesus speaks to us, because Jesus, again, eternal, right? There in the beginning, going to be there all the way through. So eternal again. And when he speaks, who is he speaking for? I mean, if we think about it that way. So there is some, yeah. Um, he's speaking for each, God, right? <laughs> each one of them, they, they can all say, who is, who was, and who is him. Well, that's that true. That applies to all three that, Yes, that applies to all of God, right? Right. Yes. And I, I tend to agree. I think it's perhaps it's purposely confusing to make that very point that they are all one, right? Right. The Father and the Father's in me, and we're in each other. And... Yeah, maybe it's just confusing to us because we're human and we don't, you know, we try to grasp and understand these things of God, and it can be difficult. So yeah, yeah, maybe it's supposed to show us that that all all aspects of God are are one and are eternal. Okay, so that's how he designates himself there. Does anybody have anything else on that? Yes. Back in verse 4, the same phrase as you. Grace and peace to you from him who is and was and is not. Right, right. I have to go back a few pages. Sorry. Well, and then the next verse yeah. is Jesus. So, so there, in yeah. that case, it sounds like it's the Father, because it's the Father, the Spirit, and the Son. Yeah, grace and peace to you, and from Jesus, the faithful witness. And yet, he sent and signified it by his angel sent to his servant, John. It, 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 gets, it gets a little, I know it gets a little murky and confusing, but... And Jesus was there, right? Jesus is eternal as well, right? All, all of, all of God is eternal, so.
All right, so if we read the next verses, Revelation, uh, this is chapter 1, verses 9 through 20. So this is a little longer, but I, I think we can manage this. I, John, your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Now, I'm going to stop there for a minute. Verse 11 is different in other translations. Most translations do not include this first bit that I just read saying, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last again. Most of the English Standard Version, NIV, most of the other translations leave that out. And they simply say, what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches. And they list out the churches. So I don't know if they added that in thinking they needed to emphasize that or what, but it appears that that first little section that I read from the New King James Version is not in the original manuscript. So that's the idea. So I don't mention it to be confusing. Again, I think probably it was added to assure us or remind us of who this is coming from. So, all right, so reading on from verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice was the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Pardon me. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So we want to look at this. And look at these questions here. Uh, question number 10. How does John identify himself to his audience, to us? Yes, man. He's a brother, and he also says he's being persecuted. A fellow partaker in the tribulation, kingdom like 
Right, he's a brother and a companion in tribulation, right? Meaning the tribulation, he's already, I mean, really, he's going through persecution and tribulation along with the rest of them at that time. Or you can look at that down through the centuries. The, we may not be that persecuted here, but there are countries on this world, on this planet, that, that are uh, persecuting Christians still. So... So, um, and he also mentions uh, in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. So he's also in the kingdom. He's a fellow citizen of the kingdom, right? That the Lord has placed us in his kingdom. And patience of Jesus Christ, which that may be an odd way to say that, but uh, patience is one of those things we should have, right? We should... Did you have something, Pat? I was going to say, because he's writing this, you could say he's a scribe also. You could say he's a scribe. He is assuming, assuming he's writing this himself, right? <laughs> or a prophet, the way this is coming to him. Well, yeah. yeah, and a prophet, I think definitely we look at John, in, especially in this book, as a prophet, right? So, all right. So if we look at question 11 then. Where and when did John receive the revelation? On the Lord's Day. On the Lord's Day. So it's on the Lord's Day. That's the when, right? Yes, ma'am. The island of Patmos, which I believe is an island west of, of where these churches were located. Okay, so the island of Patmos, and you think Patmos is west of like that part of Turkey? Yeah. In the Mediterranean, okay. I did not look to see where it was located, so that's that's interesting. Okay, so that's good to know. Now, was John just on like an island vacation? No, right? He was there due to this persecution, right? He had been sent there. You notice the New King James Version, I, I'm not trying to put it down, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily say it the best. If you look at the uh, ESV Version, the way he says it, on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, he's there because they put him there, <laughs> because he was preaching about Jesus. He was teaching about the Lord. That was That's the idea, right? So it was Christian persecution. That's the reason he was there. And it's while in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Um, all right. So then we look at question 12. Question 12, what did he hear a loud voice say? Now, if you keep in mind <laughs> what we said about verse 11, there's a, there's a variation of answer there, depending on what you're looking at. Yes. Right, he said write in a book. Right? And send this to the churches. Right? Okay. Scroll. I'm sorry. But what you see right in a book is what this says. But you could say scroll or just say letter. You know, write and send this to the churches. Right? Now, if you read the New King James Version, that first part says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and last. But like I said, that, that does not appear to have really been on the original manuscript. So, yes. 
Yeah, he's being told, this is important, write it down, and send this to the churches. So, right, yeah, that's good. That's a good point to make. It is important, yes. And this seems to be a re recurring motif in this lesson, <coughs> Revelation, where you think you're perceiving something, and then you turn to see what it is, and it's something else. So, at least the way the English Standard Version has verse 10. I heard behind me a, a, a loud voice or sound, like the sound of a trumpet. So then you turn around and it's not a trumpet. It's, it's you know, these words that we're talking about. That, that kind of thing happens quite a few times in the book, so it's kind of weird. Right, right. And I, I wonder if that's just a part of that being a vision, a vision, you know, and a spiritual vision. Yes? If we start looking at all of the times the trumpet of God, the trumpet of the Lord, all that imagery of the trumpet used in the Old Testament with the Israelites, and then when we think about Christ's return and the trumpet call. Right. The trumpet was really important. The priests used the trumpet. There's so much imagery about the trumpet, but it's, it's an alert. It's like, it is. this is important. The, your attention now. Yes, God had them fashion trumpets to do just what you're talking about, to sound the alert, to call everybody together. That was a quick way to make a blast, a sound, to draw everybody and get everybody's attention. And you'll read about that in, in the Old Testament, definitely. Back, I don't remember specifically which book right now, but definitely it's there. It may be in Exodus, that would make the most sense. But uh, but I've, I'm sorry, I've been reading through a lot of it, so um, I might get confused about the location. All right, so let's see. So that is... Okay, so he tells him definitely to write this in a book and send it to the churches because that was important. So if we look at question 13, though, to go along with what Matt was talking about, when he turned to see the voice, what did he actually see? He's, <laughs> he saw the seven golden lampstands, and in their midst he saw one like the Son of Man, which we know is a reference to Jesus. And then he's going to give a description of him, but we'll get into that next week. We're, we're out of time for this morning. We'll come back to this. Uh, we'll definitely start with 14 there, question 14. So thank you for your time and your attention.